This week's parsha is parsha Yisrael. The Torah starts out the parsha by Yishma Yisrael Chaisen Mesha. Yisrael, the father-in-law of Mesha Rabbeinu, heard as Kol Asher everything that happened to Mesha Rabbeinu and Klal Yisrael. He heard that Klal Yisrael was taken out of Egypt. And so as a result of this hearing, he came and he joined Klal Yisrael. He was living in Midjan. He was the Kayin of Midjan. He was the high priest of Midjan. He had a Chashava position there. And yet he left everything to come to join Klal Yisrael at this critical juncture in history. Rashi says, what exactly did Yisrael hear that led him to come and join Klal Yisrael? Mashmua Shama Uba. Kriyas Yamsov Umochemes Hamalik. Yisrael heard about two things. He heard about Kriyas Yamsov and he heard about Melchemes Amalek, about the victory that Klal Yisrael had against Amalek. And the question is that from the Pasuk it sounds like Yisrael heard about everything. As Kol Asher Asa Elikim L'Meisha L'Yisrael Amei Ki Haitzi Hashem Yisrael Mitzrayim He heard about the Makais He heard about all of the Isais and the Maisim and Mitzrayim That's what the Pasuk sounds like But yet Rashi limits it to two events and that is the Kriyas Yamsof and the Melchemes Amalek the question is, how did Rashi know that? The Lekach Das says something very brilliant. Kedarkai, he says that the only two things that in those days Yisrael could have possibly have heard about and witnessed himself was Kriyas Yamsev and Mohammed Samolik. In those days they didn't have internet they didn't have television, they didn't have radio, they didn't have any way of communicating events. So how is Yisrael sitting in Midian supposed to have heard about all the details of every single day what took place in Mitzrayim? He couldn't. But Kriyas Yamsev Chazal tell us that whatever happened Alayam happened everywhere in the world. The Pasuk says in Parshas B'Shalach, all the waters split and Rashi says that all the waters in the world split every liquid split so if you were sitting in Midjan or in, in England or in France and you were drinking a cup of water that also split into two you're having a bowl of cereal in, uh, in Lebanon that bowl of cereal, the milk split into two every liquid split in the world so everybody experienced this in the entire world everybody saw that there was something strange going on in the world. There was a Kriya. Something went against nature. And Yisrael saw this as well. Furthermore, Amalek also was something that the entire world knew about because Rashi brings a Chazal that the sun stopped at that point in the day. All of a sudden the sun stopped and day got a little longer and everybody recognized this. So they knew that something was up. And they did research and they found out again that Klal Yisrael was special in the Rabbani Shalom's eyes. HaKadosh Baruch Hu changed nature in terms of Kriyas Yamsuf. He changed the nature of water. 
He changed the nature of the sun, all for the benefit of Kal Yisrael. And so when Yisrael saw these things, these two things in particular that he experienced himself, he couldn't look away. He couldn't ignore the truth of the Rabbi Nishlam's existence and his special nature with Klal Yisrael. And so that led him, you know what led him to come and join Klal Yisrael? The fact that he saw and he heard about these two things, Kriyas Yamsuf and Mulchemes Samolik. What's so interesting about this is that everybody in the world then were exposed to the same exact events that Yisrael saw. Meaning it's not like Yisrael had a special newspaper that he knew about it and nobody else knew about it. It's not that he was privy to some confidential um, presidential files that everyone else was not privy to and he was. The entire world saw this. The entire world experienced this. We say in Az Yashir, Shamu Amim Yirgazun Chil Achaz by Kriyas Yamsuf, the whole world heard about it. Everyone was petrified of Klal Yisrael, petrified of the Rabbi Nishlaim. So this begs the question, why is it that everyone else ignored it, ignored the truth, and Yisrael was the one that came and joined Klal Yisrael. Everybody was exposed to the same exact thing. And there was one man in the world by the name of Yisrael who actually acted upon the inspiration that he had experienced. He didn't just let it go. He didn't turn over and say, nope, you know, interesting, nice piece of news, good for Klal Yisrael, and then just continue on with his daily life. He was moved. That was the greatness of Yisrael. The greatness of Yisrael was the fact that of all people in the world, he was the one that came forward. He didn't just say, wow, that's inspirational. Wow, that's moving. That's amazing. That's uh, unbelievable. And then go back to whatever he was doing before that. Yisrael, the kayach of Yisrael was mashmua shama. He heard uba. And then he came. The strongest force in nature is something called inertia. Inertia means that whatever I am, whatever position I'm in, that's where I'm going to stay. I have like a chazaka, that wherever I am, I am. Whatever I was, that's where I am now and that's what I will be. It's very hard to move a boulder, a boulder that's just sitting in the middle of the of a park very hard to budge it's, there's inertia, nothing's pushing it whatever forces are pushing it are not strong enough to budge it an inch and that's how we are we're exactly like that boulder whatever we are, that's who we are I was born a certain way I have certain interests in my life I have certain things that I enjoy doing and then there are certain limitations that I have put up against me that I can't move out of and that is a very strong force. I can't change. I could change, I should say, but it's really, really hard to change. For me to change requires a complete upheaval of my nature. 
And this kayak of inertia really does not like change. It likes things being static. It likes things being exactly the way it was. The way I was yesterday, the way I was in Eretz Yisrael, the way I was in high school, the way I was in elementary school, that's how I am today and tomorrow and going forward. Unless I am really, really good, motivated enough to change in a real way, I'm going to stay exactly the same way that I am. There's a Chazal on Parshas Yisrael that says, Ra'a shifcha alayam the lowest maidservant that was Zaycha to go through Kriyas Yamsuf, she saw the Yad Hashem, by Amina Ba'ashem, by Shahabdai, by Yiram Hashem. They were exposed to great divine manifestations. Alayam. The lowest Shifcha saw Mashalayra Yechesko Ben Buzi, the greatest Navi in Klal Yisrael, Yechesko, who saw tremendously holy things. He was not Zaycha to see what the lowest maidservant saw Alayam. Barabel Yisrael, the Philadelphia Rashiv, used to say, Abra Shifcha Blaid the Shifcha. Which means that at the end of the day, you can't compare the Shifcha Alayam to Yechesko Ben Buzi. Because the shifcha remained the shifcha. She saw greatness, but the next day she was just back doing what she was used to doing. It didn't make an impression on her whatsoever. Yechezkel Ben Buzi was different. Yechezkel Ben Buzi saw Nevoah and he was moved by it. He was changed by the experience. A shifcha blides a shifcha. And that's how we are. We think that so many people ask, oh, why doesn't God show us divine miracles like he did then, then I would be a believer. If God would, you know, split the sea for me, then I'd be a believer. No, you wouldn't. If anyone ever says that, that if I would see a divine miracle, I would change, 99 out of 100 people would not change. Because it doesn't matter. It's, it's a miracle. That's great. It's cool. But I'm going back to exactly what I was before the miracle. I think Rabbi Rucham Levavitz used to say that in Radin, during the time of the Chavetz Chaim, there was a famous dibuk that possessed a young girl's body, and they needed to get that dibuk out of her body. And before they did, they asked the dibuk some questions about what's going on in Shemayim, but that's another discussion. And they finally were able to get the dibuk out. And what happened was, it was in an enclosed room, and the dibuk had to get out some way. So it smashed through a window in the room, and there were, and that's and that was the end of the divik. Divik went back to Shemayim, whatever, and and there was actual panes of glass that were broken on the street outside of that room where the glass had broken. People were standing out on the street and saw. All of a sudden, there wasn't a baseball that went out of that window. There wasn't a chair that went out of that window. There's nothing. It was just some force that went out of the window. It should have been an amazing nace nigla. People should have been doing tshuva, crying, saying uh, vidoy, whatever. And basically what the scene was, there was broken glass. Everybody like talked about it for a few minutes. Some shifcha came out and swept up the glass pane, the broken pane, you know, onto a, onto a shovel, threw it into the garbage, and life went on as usual. Nothing changed in the city of Radin. And Rabbi Yuchim used to say, this is what happens. This is what a human being is. 
Inertia is such a strong power that no matter what event we see, whatever we witness, it might be very impressive in the moment, inspirational, motivational, moving, powerful, but we go back to being the same way that we were. The Kayach of Yisrael was he was different. Mashmu Shamai heard, everyone heard, Shamu Amim, everybody heard the same exact thing that Yisrael heard, the same exact thing that Yisrael saw. Everybody, millions of people saw the same thing, but there was one human being, Uba, he came. And that was Yisrael. The greatness of Yisrael was, and that's why there's an extra parsha. There's a parsha named after Yisrael because this is such an important thing that we have to learn from. That when you hear something, when you're moved by something, you have to take action immediately, you have to come, you have to do something, you have to change. Because if not, we'll just stay the same shifcha that we were before. There's a medrash in Rus on a pasuk in Parak Bey's pasuk Yud Bey's. Bayaz says to Rus, a very flattering bracha that he gives her, Yeshalim Hashem Palech. Hashem should reward you for all the kindness that you did with your mother-in-law, with Naomi, and the fact that you came to be Megayer. All of this was tremendous. Yeshalim Hashem Palech. Hashem should repay you. Utihi maskurtech shleimamim Hashem. And your reward should be full. It should be absolute, complete from HaKadosh Baruch. You should get full reward for everything that you've done. Asher bas lachasais tachas kan That you have come to take shelter underneath the wings of the Shekhinah, underneath the Shekhinah's shade. And listen to this Madrash. Amar Rebchasa. Rebchasa says, Asher bas that you came, which is basically a direct quotation from the Pasuk. The Pasuk says, Hashem should repay you, Asher bas l'chas es kan that you came to take shelter underneath the kan v'ashchina, zaktav chasa, asher bas, that you came. Now all the Mepharshim scrambled to try to figure out what in the world of chasa meant on this Medrash. And the truth of the matter is that I looked this up the other day, this is a famous medrash, but I looked it up in the, the new Arscroll um, medrash. Arscroll came out with a medrash rabbi a couple of years ago on Rus. And I wanted to see what Arscroll said about this medrash before I said my own Tyra. So it ruins the whole, my hope shot gets ruined. But not, I'm not the only one because there were dozens and dozens of people that offered this a shot on this Rav Chasa. But Arsko went and they did, actually did research and they found a very old medrash and Rav Chasa didn't really just say that. He said a whole shtickel taira wasn't, just, didn't just end with Asher Bas, but he ruined, you know, Arsko basically ruined the whole, the whole vart. Because this is not really what he said according to this Girsa, but it, it, on, a, on a certain level it is because if many, many Mepharshim you know, including great Ga'inim and Gedailim, all were Aymin on this Medrash, then obviously on a certain level, it did exist. Maybe Arsgill found a different Medrash, but maybe both were true. I had a, a Rebbe in Eretz Yisrael who was a tremendous Eloi, and he once told me that 
he had a great vart for many, many years about uh, the, the Rambam and Hilchas play on Mikdash. The Rambam and the Halachas of the Kalim of the Mikdash, the utensils of the Mikdash. So the Rambam there doesn't only discuss the Klei Mikdash, he also discusses the Kayhanim. All of the, whatever the Kayhanim wear and whatever, all the Dinim of the Kayhanim he also puts in this, in this, in these Halachas of Hilchas Klei Mikdash. So my Rebbe says, I always had this Vart that why did the Rambam put it into Hilchas Klei Mikdash about the Kayhanim? Because Kayhanim are also Klei Mikdash. Meaning there's a Menorah, and there's a Shulchan, there's a Kiar, and then there are Kayhanim, there's a Kayhan Gadol, there's Kayhanim Stam, but they are also, as servants in the Mikdash, they also have a din of Klei Mikdash. Says, that was my lumbness. That's I, I used to say this chat all the time. Until the Frankel Ramam came out, the Frankel Ramam did all this scholarly research and figuring out all the Rikir Sais and the Ramam, and they changed the title. It seems that the Rambam's initial title, before things, some, I guess, some typesetter, you know, cut out half the title, it was Hilchas Kleha Mikdash Ve'a The Kleha Mikdash and those that work inside of the Mikdash. So that kills his whole, the whole shot of Kleha Mikdash being Kayanim. But that happens sometimes. Sometimes, you know, if you do too much scholarly research, it kills a lot of, a lot of good Tyra. I'll tell you a Vart that the Sfasema says on this Medrash of Asher Bas, and then I'll tell you my own pshat. The Sfasema says, Asher Bas, what do Reb mean Asher Bas? So he says that there's a story that when the, the famous Zusha man of Oli, the famous Tzadik of Zusha, so he got old, and you know he was already waiting for the Yemah Mavis, and he says, you know, I have no need for Ilam Habo. People are all Ilam Habo, Ilam Habo. He says, I don't need paradise. I don't, paradise is not something that I'm interested in. He says, my definition of Ilam Habo, uh, of Ilam Habo, paradise, of Gan Eden, is just simply being a Yid in this world and serving the Rabbi Yishayim. If I could daven every day, if I could learn every day, if I could do chesed every day, that's my Ilam Habo. I don't need, you know, palm trees and, uh, you know, whatever. I don't need paradise. Paradise for me is just simply being an Ayyad Hashem. That's, that's for me my Gan Eden. Zaktisvasemes, that's what Chasla meant, Asher Bas. Meaning, what did Bayaz mean to say to Rus that Yeshalm Hashem Palech Utimaskurtach Shlem, you should have tremendous schar. Your schar should be complete. What do you think of when you hear of schar being complete? The, the greatest schar, oh, that's Ilam Haba. Eden Hamiti, that's the place I'm going to really get the sky that I, I deserve. This world is, is a horrible place to be in, and especially Rush, who is living in such dire poverty. Reb Chas is saying, Asher Bas, the fact that you're here, the fact that you're a Yid now, the fact that you're an Eved Hashem, that's your greatest schar. Don't wait for Elam Haba to understand your schar. Your greatest schar, paradise for you, should be the fact that you're a Yid, that you came. Excuse me. That you came and you were makabo on yourself, the kanfe ashchina, that is your greatest char. Asher bas, your coming is your maskurta shlema. I wanted to say a different shot in Reb Chasso. Reb Chasso meant that you know what you get char for? 
your schar is not from the fact that you make brachas every day and you learn Ramban and you, uh, you, know, you say tzenarena. Your schar simply is asher bas. The reason why you are so great, Ross, the reason why you are so deserving of so much schar as a giyaris coming, she was a princess and she came and joined Kal Yisrael in their worst time when there was a famine and everything looked grim and dire for Kal Yisrael. You joined Asher Bas. <clears throat> Your schar comes from coming. Just like Yisrael, Mashmua Shama Uba, he was another ger that actually was different because he didn't just hear, but he came, he did something. Your schar, Rus, is Asher Bas. There's nothing else that I could say. The Pasuk, when it says Asher Bas, that should be like underlined and a highlighter on those words because that is, you did the impossible. You didn't allow inertia to control your life. You didn't say, well, I'm a princess, I'm sitting in, in Steymayav, everything is good for me, Shalom Alay Nafshi. You couldn't look away from the fact that there's a Rabbi Nishlam in the world. You understood that there was something different, better, higher than you and your daily existence, and you joined Klai Yisrael as a result of that. Asher Bas. That is your greatest accolade. The fact that you've come. Coming is the main thing in life. There's a, a celebrity, a movie star, who, who said, a, a famous, uh, said a famous line. It became very part of the, uh, of, uh, you know, of the vernacular almost. And there's a lot of truth to it. He said, 80% of life is just showing up. Just showing up is so important. There are many times, you know, you, you, you see like um, there's uh, somebody that's interviewing for a job. There's, there's a job interview. She says, ah, you know what, I, I don't really have the skills. Uh, you know, there are probably a hundred other people coming and, and going to be there. I've got to compete with other people. You never know. If you just show up for the interview there's a very good chance that you're going to get the job. You know why? Because everyone that looked at that ad had that same thought as you did, and they decided to take a pass. They said, no, it's not worth it. I have to respond to an ad. You know, these classifieds, they're just, you know, it's just they have to do that, and internally they have their own people, and they don't need it. It's just a legal thing, and you never know. How do you know that? If you show up, there's a very good chance that you're going to get it. Rav Dessler was obviously one of the great Bali Musar. He wrote the Mikhtam Eliyahu. He was the Panovich Mashkiach. He was, he was unbelievable, Rav Dessler. But after the war, Rav Dessler was a Rav in a little shtibel in London. In a little, not a fancy big shul in London. He was like a, a Rav in like a little, very small shtibel. And there's a very good chance that he would have just lived the rest of his life in obscurity, just like there were many Rabbanim all over England, all over America, all over the world, that you have never heard their names, even though they were Iluyim Nifloyim. Rav Aaron Kotler, when he came to America once on a fundraising trip for his yeshiva in, in Europe, he used, to, he used to go around from city to city that had like populations of that, that could possibly do some fundraising for his yeshiva. And he say that he went to these small cities 
in Indianapolis and in uh, Nebraska, different crazy, you know, very small cities he never even thought had a Jew there. And there were little shuls and Rabbanim who were Ga'inim. Rav Aaron Kotler knew what a Gain was in learning, right? Rav Aaron Kotler was the greatest Gain of his generation. People used to call him the Kivager of his time. So Rav Aaron Kotler knew a thing or two about learning. And he would go and he would be like Nispoil over the Iluyim that he met in these small towns in, in, in the Midwest. You never knew had a, had a Jew living there. They were going, they, they needed a job, they came to America, and they took jobs in, in wherever they could find them. <clears throat> but these were people that you never heard their names, I never heard their names, and these are people that they lived and they died in, 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 in these funny states. And, and they were Gainim. Rav Dessler was going to be one of those people as well. He, he was a Rav in a little shul in London. You probably never would have heard the name Dessler if not for this one story. There was a, a Yid by the name of Rav David Dryan. Rav David Dryan had an idea, a crazy idea. <coughs> he wanted to start a Kailel, which today is you know, ubiquitous. Every, there's Kailel all over the world. Then it was very rare to have a Kailel to support married men. Learning was like an unheard of thing back then. He wanted to start a Kailel in a city called Gateshead, England. Gateshead was a, an industrial town in England. Nothing much going on there. It was like a wacky idea to start a Kailel in Gateshead. It was... You know, a funny idea. But this person, or David Dryan, had this dream and he, he thought that, you know, he could pull it off. So he sent a letter, the same letter, to 23 Rabbanim throughout England, inviting them to be the Reich Kailal of this Kailal in Gateshead, England. Out of 23 letters that were sent out, personal invitations, asking them, would you be interested in joining and being the head of the Kailo? So 20 of these Rabbanim didn't even bother responding. They just threw it in the garbage. Threw the letter in the garbage. It's ridiculous. A Kailo in Gateshead. It doesn't make sense. It's probably, uh, you know, probably just some uh, you know, fake news, uh, some phony baloney uh, junk mail. Threw it in the garbage. Two Rabbanim of the 23, responded politely, no, no, thank you, but no thank you, great, great idea, you know, Yashakayach, Kalakavod, go for it, but I can't do it, it's not for me. Rav Dessler, out of these 23 rabbis, only Rav Dessler, only Rav Dessler responded and said, I am interested. He named me. As a result of that response, he showed up, he came to Gateshead, he actually opened the Kailal. He created Gateshead into a premier Makam Taira in Europe. Probably the greatest city in Europe, Taira-wise, may very well be Gateshead. And, and as a result of that, he was ultimately given the job as the Mashkiach and Panovich. He wrote Mikhtam el and the rest is history. The Mailov of Dessler was Asher Bas. It wasn't that Rav Dessler was so brilliant, although he was. It wasn't that he was famous, because he wasn't. He just simply responded. He just said, Hineni, I'm here. This is, I, I like the idea. I'm not going to just say thank you for the opportunity, but no thank you. I'm taking you up on I'm coming to Gateshead from London, and I'm going to join this Kailo. I'm going to build this Kailo. 
And that was the greatness of Rav Dessler. Rav Dessler's greatness was one word. Ba. He came. He wasn't just Shmu Shama that like 22 other rabbis also heard. They heard the letter. They saw it. They thought, talked it over with their wife. But Asher, they didn't come. They were Shama V'loi Ba. Rav Dessler's Milo was that he was Shama. He was inspired. Uban, he came. That was the Chashivas of Yisrael. Yisrael's Chashivas was that of all the people in the world, only he actually came. The simplest thing to do, just to show up. He had the wisdom to show up, and because of that, he got a parsha in the Torah. He has everything. Everyone, everyone in the Shabbos is talking about Yisrael and his different names and his godless, all because he just simply showed up. What did he do, Yisrael, already? He packed his bags and he came. That's all he did. The Kotzker, along the same lines, <coughs> says about this Rashi that we started with, that he heard about Kriyas Yamsev and Mulchemes Amalek. I don't understand. After Kriyas Yamsev, why didn't he come already? If he was so inspired, if everything that we said is so true, and it is, why didn't he come right away? Why did he have to wait until Mohammed Samalik? Why did he need two events to make him come? Zakta Kotzker as follows. He said, Yisrael was very inspired. Yisrael was a strong person. And he felt that I believe now in God. I believe that the Rabbi Yisrael is okay, Yisrael. I want to be Megayer. But who says that I have to go to the Midbar and be Jewish there? Why do I have to join Klai Yisrael, be in the thick of things? Why can't I just stay in Midjan? I have my house here, paid off my mortgage already. I have two cars in the driveway. People in the, in the country know me. My, my, my kids, you know, the Shidduchim are good here. Like, why do I have to actually go and uproot myself and move to Klai Yisrael? Why can't I be Megayer here? I want to stay in Midjan. Good question. But then he saw Mohammed Amalek. And he wondered how in the world did Amalek have the audacity to go and fight Klal Yisrael? Didn't they see as well Kriyas Hamsuf? Didn't they see Yitzhak Mitzrayim? Didn't they see that the Rebbe Hashem loves Klal Yisrael, that he has their back? Didn't he see all the Isis and Mitzim that I was privy to, he was privy to? And yet he has the chutzpah to go and fight Klal Yisrael. What's the answer? The answer is that even though you might be inspired for a moment, but after the moment passes, everything else goes back to being the same. The inspiration wears off very quickly. Moments that you have, you know, heights of... Ruchnius and Hasagas and wow, you're not going to believe what I saw. I just saw this, or I just went to this dish, and I was it was unbelievable. Or Neila, or uh, you know these heights of the year, these these amazing moments in our lives that are so inspirational. We want to you know stay that way forever. What happens the next day? We go back to being the same way. That's what he learned from Mohammed Amalek. That if you don't hold on to the inspiration. If you don't actually make a move, if you're not ba, and you're just, wow, that's impressive, it doesn't last, it dissipates. Amalek had the chutzpah to go against Klal Yisrael. Didn't he see Kriyas Yamsuf? The answer is he saw 
But then the next day he woke up and it was gone. That's when Yisrael said, I have to go there. Because if Amalek could do that, then I could be Amalek soon also. I also could be unimpressed as, well, as I was impressed. And this is exactly what we're talking about this morning. When a person has moments of inspiration, you have to act on it. If you don't act on it, it's going to be gone. You'll be like the person in Radin that sweeps up the glass and throws it in the garbage and goes back to their daily routine. When a person is inspired, you have to do something, you have to come, you have to take action. The Ramban, in one of his farm in Kalkisa Ramban, I think it's in Teres Hashem Tzmima, <coughs> he says a great vart on Shir Hashirim. The Pasuk in Shir Hashirim says, Im ta'iru v'im ta'iru etha'ava which means loosely translated that if you are inspired, until you want it. So the Ramban says a different shot in this passage. He says a, a brisker shot. He says, you know what means? It doesn't mean until you want it. Achetechpatz means you have to make it into a chefza. Achetechpatz is you have to, if you are if you have an inspirational moment, Achetechpatz, you have to make it into a chefza. Do something. Take action. Come, get involved. Make sure that you're not just sitting on the sidelines and, wow, that was impressive, cool. You actually do something concrete to change something. Be macabre on yourself something. Do something better. Join something. Be a part of something. Don't just be, wow, that was great. I hear you're nice, impressive. And then just go on with your daily routine. The greatness of Yisrael is that he did something extra. That's why his name was Yisrael. He didn't just stop at saying, nice, impressive, let's give him a standing ovation. He actually did extra than the rest of the world. He didn't stop at that. At that. He went and he said, I have to do something concrete. I have to make it into a uba. He came to Kal Yisrael. He joined Kal Yisrael at that moment in history. Rav Shimon Schwab, the Rav of Kaldas Yishorin, was a German Bacher who went to Eastern Europe to learn Taira in Tells and in the Mir. And he once spent a single Shabbos in the home of the Chavetz Chaim. And he brought back so much Taira from this one Shabbos, a lot of pieces that you hear that Rav Schwab quoting from the Chavetz Chaim was all from that one Shabbos. Because he went, you know, he recorded everything after Shabbos and he wrote everything down and he was so in the spoil that like he, he spent the rest of his life repeating what he heard that Shabbos from the Chavetz Chaim. One thing that he heard from the Chavetz Chaim and he, Rav Schwab told me this himself he once went to visit him uh, he used to spend summers in a uh, in a Balchuba camp in Connecticut called Mudis. And in Mudis, his son-in-law was the head of the yeshiva. Uh, and um, he was very nispar of Shrab from Balchuba. Because, we'll get to it soon, but this is basically what we're talking about. The Maila of not just the Geirim, 
like Yisrael, like Rus, and the way that they were able to change their life. You see that by Bali Chuba as well. These are people that had a great life. They had nothing, you know, mandating that they be from. They were mandated not to be from. Nobody wanted them to be from. Everybody was anti them being from. They didn't have to, there was no peer pressure to stay on the derech because everybody, the peer pressure was to stay off the derech. And yet they were able to be inspired and to change and to give up lucrative careers and, and great social life and, and, and family life all in order to come tachas kan That's That's an amazing milo that Bali Tshuva have. Sometimes, you know, people, Nebuch talk badly, you know, about Bali Tshuva behind their back. He's a BT, you know, it's like a pejorative term. There's no greater mile of them being a Balchuba. What's so great about being an FFB? What's what's the big cons to be a to be a from from birth person? Thank you, man. Thank you. Thank you. Um, but to be a Balchuba, that's a trick. That's that's not so easy. I made a bracha before. Ow, mayor. Um, okay. So when I was in, I went to visit a friend who was in, in Camp Moudis and Rav Schwab was there. And I knew Rav Schwab from, from Washington Heights, but I asked him to tell me over the story. So you could find it in the Svarim, but I heard it, he pivs, so it's more chashuv. So this is what happened. The Chavetz Chaim was a Kayin. Everybody knows the Chavetz Chaim was a Kayin. So Chavetz Chaim looks at young Rav Shimon Schwab and says, he says, you know that I'm a Kayin, right? He says, of course, everybody knows you're the Kayin Gadol. You're the Kayin of the Dara. He says, that's right. He says, are, are you a Kayin? The Chavetz Chaim asks Rav Schwab. He says, no, I'm not a Kayin. Says, uh, why are you not a Kayin? Sir Schwab says, as we all would, it's because my father was not a Kayin. So the Chavetz Chaim says, after a few moments, he says, and why was your father not a Kayin? Sir Schwab says, because his father was not a Kayin. Sir Schwab thought that maybe, you know, the Chavetz Chaim was very old at the time, maybe he wasn't functioning properly and eventually the Chavetz Chaim said as follows he says no he says that's not the reason why you're not a Kayin he says the reason why you're not a Kayin and I am a Kayin is because thousands of years ago when Meshur Abeno said by the Chet HaEgel Mi Hashem Eli who is to Hashem come to me my great-great-great-great-grandfather answered the call of Maishu Rabbeinu. He came to Maishu Rabbeinu at that moment in history. And your great-great-great-grandfather did not. And because of that, I am a Kayin today, and you're not a Kayin today. And the Chavetz Chaim said to Rav Schwab, he says, and you should learn a Musr Shmuz from this. That in life you're going to see that very often there is a calling that you'll have to do the Ratzon Hashem. 
There'll be a divine call of there'll be moments in your life that you're going to have to take the mantle of leadership. And you're going to be expected to do things that are great for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, for Klal Yisrael. And you better answer the call. Come and listen to the call when the Rabbi Shalom calls you. Because if you don't, there are dire consequences for eternity. This is Mashmur Shama When you hear something, you have to answer the call. If Rav Dessler had not answered the call, he would not be known. You would not know who Rebellion Dessler is today. You wouldn't know. There would be no Mechamelio, there would be no Panovich, there would be nothing. Because he would not have become on that step, on that stepping stone to greatness, because he would have just ignored the letter. He would have ignored the call. In life, so many times you'll be asked to do something and very often you'll take a pass. You'll punt. You'll say, ah, it's, too much hard. It's, it's, it's too much trouble. I, I can't do it. I don't have time. I don't have money. I don't have, you know, I'm busy with other things. But so often when you do something and you do the right thing, you know it's the right thing, you get so much schar. Your life will change because you just simply came. You showed up. Rivalbi, Rav Shlemavalbi wrote a beautiful letter. It's an interesting story. Um, somebody wrote an anonymous letter to Rivalbi. It's never nice to write anonymous letters to anybody because it's such a, you know, it's not nice because the person doesn't even know who wrote it and it could be anybody and, you know, he has to be suspicious now of every single person that he meets that it might have been the person that wrote this accusatorial letter. Somebody wrote an anonymous letter in Revol- to Revolvi in Periakov in his yeshiva that he was the mashkiach. And he, the, the letter went something as follows. said that, you know, a lot of guys in yeshiva have tainus on the mashkiach because the mashkiach doesn't come over to each and every one of us and, you know, make nice and, uh, you know, go out of their way to uh, make sure that every single bacher is catered to and you don't know our names so well, you don't know what we do and we don't, you don't know much about us. And, um, you know, we have tainus on you. This is the Chutzvah letter that Abacha wrote to Rav Shlomo Valbi. So Rav Valbi answered the letter. The question is, how do you answer an anonymous letter? Like, where do you send it to? Very simple. He put the letter up on the door of the base Madrash. If that was done here, nobody would notice it either. Because people don't look at those things. But in those days, I guess, there was nothing else... You know, vying for people's attention. So if there was a letter from Mashkiach on the door of the yeshiva, that made an impression. And we have the exact nusach of this letter. And this is basically what Revolvi said. A yeshiva is supposed to prepare a bacher for life. And in the real world out there, in life, there isn't a mashkiach or a rav or a rabbi that comes and, you know, takes the pulse of every single person in his congregation or in his base medrash. It doesn't work like that in real life. He says, the people in life that are matzliach are the people that go and they make it their business to come 
and to exert themselves come over to the Rav and speak to the Rav about their issues, about their problems, about their successes, about their questions, about their Ashkafic issues. You want a Rebbe, you have to go and make yourself a Rebbe. You want to have a relationship with a, with a Rav, you have to call the Rav, you have to invite the Rav, you have to be close to the Rav. That's the way it is in the real world. He says, Yeshiva is not a bubble that's different than the real world. In yeshiva, we're preparing you for the real world. And just like in the real world, you have to go out of your way to have a kesher with your rav, with your rebbe. In yeshiva, we do the same thing. He says, I am available to every single bachar that wants to have a kesher with me. But I do not have an achrayas. I don't have a responsibility, and perhaps I should not be doing what you advise me to do, and that is to go out to every... Because that would give each bacher a false sense of, uh, of what reality is. And they're going to think that in the real world, when they go out of yeshiva one day, that the rub is going to come and, and be nice to them, and, you know, and, and, and be sweet, and come over. And that's not necessarily the way it's going to happen, and then they're really going to be upset. And so what I'm doing is, I'm, I'm the mashkiach, and I'm in a position to help and to be close with every single bacher, but you have to come. When you come and you make it your business to not just you know, know that there is a shmuz, know that there is a vad, but to actually know about it and come, that's when the connection begins. That's when the circuits are connected. And that's when the relationship can really begin in earnest. This is the first shmuz of the newsman, and there are many, you know, wonderful new bachram that came to yeshiva, and uh, many of them are here today, Baruch Hashem, for the shmuz. And for them, this is uh, a first important opening salvo, and for those of you that have been here for a long time, it's good chazaro. In yeshiva, we have a lot of a lot of staff. We have many rabbeim, we have mashkiach, we have skan mashkichim, we have kayol guys, we have shalomeshevs. We're not short staffed. We have plenty of people. But at the end of the day, you can't sit and wait for people to come over to you to make a relationship. I know that in Eretz Yisrael, you know, that is the way many yeshivas operate, and that's great, because at that point, in a Bachar's life, it's very important that they have that tipo, and there's no doubting that that works. It's very successful, and, and we try to sort of duplicate that here on a certain level, but not nearly on the level that it was there. The way that you will succeed in yeshiva here, and throughout life for that matter, is when you go and you take the opportunity to come. If you sit on the sidelines and you're one of those guys that don't come to anything that they don't absolutely have to. So they don't come to davening, they're davening down the block. They don't come to say they're on time, if at all, because you know they don't think that it matters. They don't come to shear, they, they don't come to shear Sunday, they don't come to shear Tuesday, they don't come to shear, you know, you know, because they could get away with it because their grades are good enough, plus they do enough to get an A on, on Talmud. That's all they need to do, and they do the bare minimum. 
they're not the guys that come to the Vaden, they're not the guys that come to the Shmuzin because they have to go home Thursday night and come back Monday morning. If that's the attitude, that's great. You'll get through Lander College, you'll get your education, you'll get your diploma at the end. But who are you fooling? Who loses? Who, am I the loser because you didn't come to the Shmuz? In life, it's important to come. The only way to succeed in life, in anything. But of course, in Divrei Taira, in Musar, in Hadracha, you have to, you have to be proactive. You have to go and do something yourself. Don't wait for people to come to you and, and roll out the red carpet because it might never come. The Talmidim that I have, that I'm close to Arayim, that I've had, when I go to Eretz Yisrael, I'll be going in about a month to Eretz Yisrael, we make him Lava Malka in Ramat Beit Shemesh every year that I go. And we have about 20 guys that come just there. And I'm close with all those 20 guys. They've been living in Eretz Yisrael 5, 10, 15 years. I'm still close to them. Why am I closer to them than I am to some guys that live in Queens? Because the guys that live there, for some reason, not all of them, but you know, many the guys that I still am close with after many, many years are guys that came over to me. They came to the shirim, they came to my shmuz, and they came to shmuz with me. They came to talk to me. They came to my house on Purim and on this and on that. And we established a close kesher because they were proactive in making the relationship. I'm not absolving myself from the responsibility of going and doing outreach, but the way that you can really get close with me, and with any Rebbe for that matter, is by you taking initiative, by saying, I'm not going to just you know, know about things, but I'm going to come to things. When a person comes and doesn't allow inertia to take over their life, of course it would have been easy for every one of you here today to have stayed in your dorm room or stayed home and, um, you know, cleaned up for Shabbos or uh, checked your emails or whatever. That was an option for you. But you didn't allow inertia to take over. You didn't say, you know, I don't want to get up. I don't want to... No, it's Friday. And I'm going to come to the schmooze. And that's an amazing thing. I don't take that for granted. I understand that it's not an easy thing. I don't think it's a natural thing that every bacher should naturally jump out of bed Friday morning and come to a shmuz. But you don't know how much I appreciate the fact that you did that. And when you're on Tuesday and there's the Rashiva's giving a shir quality, and everybody is, you know, if you stay, that's an amazing thing. And it's appreciated. And staying for Shabbos. And staying for Yantim and coming to a Tish and coming to, uh, uh, you know, all these things, all these comings that you're having, all of the, the fact that you're not just waiting and seeing and testing the waters, but you're jumping in, that makes you not a Shifcha. That means that you're not somebody that just, you know, very nice, good to know about, but I'll take a pass. The greatness of each and every one of you is the fact that you came. And when you have that habit of coming, that's what's going to lead to success. You'll come to Shmuzen, you'll come to Shiurim, you'll come to Shabbos. And then you'll come to job opportunities, and you'll come to positions, and stellars will open up for you, because you understand that I have to make things happen. 
I can't wait because if I wait, it's never going to happen. I have to take initiative on my own and make things happen and come to things. And if I see people um, in a dining room that are sitting alone and they're a new guy and I feel bad, you know, they don't have friends, I'm going to go away from my friends and I'm going to go sit next to that guy and, and make him feel good about himself. I'm going to go and actually change other people. That's an amazing power. To be a Yisrael, to be somebody that does the extra. Yes, sir. No one expects it. Inertia, everybody understands inertia quite well. When a person goes out of their way and does something extra, unexpected, comes, that deserves a parsha in the Torah all for himself. We should all have the word Hineni on our lips. Hineni, I'm here. What can I do? Do you need anything? Like Mayer. Mayer was one person. He sees that I have a cough. He sees that my throat is killing me. I'm not saying that none of you would have done it either, but the fact that he went to the tea room and got, made me a tea and brought it to me means the world to me. It means that he is a person that actually saw something and, and did it. It's a tremendous smile. Thank you, Mayer. That's Hineni. That means I'm here. What can I do for you? Not what can you do for me. Here, I, you know, I'm, I'm here. I'm waiting for a Rebbe or whatever. Don't wait. Make the initiative yourself. Go out and try to be of yourself to your Rebbe. When you do that, worlds will open up. The other way it doesn't work. You ever notice like when a Rebbe is like trying too hard to be friendly, you like you like you run away. But when you go and you try to be Makarib yourself to a Rebbe, then the Rebbe like everything opens up, like there is like no no machitzas at all. And that's the way it is. That's the way it always will be. Mirza Hashem, we should always have the word the word Hineni Shagabafinu. We should always understand the importance of Yisrael, the importance of Rus. The importance of Rav Schwab or the Chavitz Chaim, the importance of Rav Dessler. All of these Yisaydes of the importance of not just hearing, but coming. And the more that we come in life, the more the Rav will give us the Siyat, the Shmaya, to succeed at everything that we do. Have a good Shabbat.